Good morning, brothers and sisters, friends of Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. My name is Michael Talercio. I'm the pastoral intern here at Forest Hill, and you are joining us for day 342 of our daily walk through the Word with Jesus, one chapter per day. We're looking at 1 Timothy 5 this morning, and if you recall from our previous studies of 1 Timothy, you'll remember that 1 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul to the minister for whom the letter is named, Timothy. He's a younger pastor, and Paul is encouraging him to continue preaching the Word of God, to continue building up God's people, the church body that Timothy is ministering to, likely in Ephesus at the time of Paul's writing. And so we're reading somebody else's mail this morning. Uh, This is a letter written to one man by another man. It's a a personal letter, and so not everything is going to apply to us in a one-to-one way as it would if the letter were written directly to us or generally for every Christian believer. So let's ask the Lord's help as we read this letter together this morning from chapter 5. Father, thank you that we have opportunity to hear from you. This letter was written by Paul to Timothy, but it was also in a very real way written by you to us. And so, Father, we pray that we would be able to distinguish between the direct application for Timothy and the secondary application for us. Uh, You are a gracious God to provide us with opportunity to grow, and we pray that Paul's words to Timothy would enable that this morning for your people, and ultimately that it would be for Jesus' glory. May we see Jesus in this text here today. In his name we pray. Amen. We're looking at 1 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so encourage, so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. 
did not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. The Apostle Paul is a family man. He's a man who loves God's family. And that's why he begins chapter 5 of 1 Timothy in the way that he does, reminding Timothy that while Timothy will at times have to correct the people in God's family, he mustn't forget that the people he's correcting are God's family. So he writes in verse 1, Don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Because Paul knows that there is an appropriate way to correct and to challenge and, in a sense, to rebuke the people in God's family. Now, rebuke is a strict-sounding word. It's a good word. But ultimately, what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do is to love the people in God's family who are straying in their thinking and in their beliefs or in their actions. And he's helping him to do that in a way that bears in mind that the people he's correcting are family. He goes on from there in verses 3 down to 16 to describe a way to care for certain women in the community, in this family, who need help. Very likely physical, literal, financial help. These are widows. Uh, And Paul is emphatic about who really ought to be caring for these widows in verse Eight in particular, he says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So Paul is beginning to help Timothy here to see the difference between those who are truly widows and those who are not really truly widows, but have opportunity to be cared for by others. And he says it's the responsibility of those in the church in particular who have widows in their family to care for those women. This is, as he says in verse 4, this is a way for them to learn godliness and to make some return to their parents. It's actually a way to please God. It's what he says at the end of verse 4. So those in the church that have widows in their family, women who've lost husbands and who need help in some form or fashion, this is an opportunity for, for people to care for the widows in their families if they're part of the church. And if they don't, it's actually a telltale sign that they're worse than those who aren't even part of the church at all. It's quite a dividing line, actually, uh, and it's important to Paul um, because the reputation of the church is at stake. Paul writes in verse 14 that he does not want the adversary, the devil, to have any occasion to slander God's people. And he goes on in verse uh, verse 16 sorry, to say that any believing woman who has relatives 
who are widows should be caring for them, for those widows, because he doesn't, Paul doesn't want the church to be burdened. He wants the church to be able to care for those who are truly widows. So Paul doesn't want the church to be slandered. Paul doesn't want the church to be burdened unnecessarily. Paul wants God's people to do the job of being a family and caring for those within the family appropriately. You see, Paul doesn't only want to benefit widows. He wants to benefit all of God's family. And that's why he has this distinction between women who are true widows, older women who are truly widows, and younger women who are widows but have the opportunity to marry again and to have their own children and to build up Christ's church, the body, the people of God, by having more generations of believers. There are always opportunities to build up the church. And for younger widows, there's the opportunity for them to remarry and to have a husband to provide for their needs and to care for for the young children that they might have. So God is looking always to care for his people. And through Paul, we see how there are these distinctions and these differentiations for how that can happen. And Paul is also concerned not only for widows, but not only for, for young children, but, but for the elders as well, for those who are shepherding God's people. So he writes in verse 17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And he goes on to quote Deuteronomy in verse 18 and says that the scriptures say that you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And he quotes Jesus thereafter, Summarize, the laborer deserves his wages. So Paul's point here is simply that the laborer, the elder, who's ruling well, who's laboring and preaching and teaching God's word, deserves his wages. And he puts it in verse 17 as worthy of double honor. But he also wants elders to be well cared for reputationally. So in verse 19, he says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, he's drawing from Old Testament principles. Anytime a charge is brought before one of God's people, it needs to be on the basis of two or three witnesses. It can't just be somebody who willy-nilly decides to slander Christ's reputation by bringing a charge against one of Christ's ministers. Paul wants Christ to get the honor. He has Jesus at the forefront of all that he's writing to Timothy here. And it's for the sake of God's people, but it's really for the sake as a whole of Christ, the head of God's people. He doesn't want slander and disrepute to come onto God's people because he doesn't want slander and disrepute to come onto Christ. And so that's why he writes what he writes there. That's why he grounds it in that biblical principle of having multiple witnesses if a charge is going to be brought against an elder. But Paul also doesn't want there to be an instance in which an elder who needs to be charged to not be. And so he says in verse 20, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Paul knows that Jesus is worthy not only of double honor, as he says in verse 17, but Jesus is worthy of all honor. And he's worthy of the kind of honor that involves his people being rightly shepherded and the church being cared for properly. That's why Paul is instructing Timothy as he as he is in this chapter and throughout this letter, because Jesus' reputation is on the line. 
And Jesus doesn't really need us to protect his reputation, but he does want us to do so because he's worthy of our, he's worthy of all honor. He's worthy of our lives being lived in service to him. He's worthy of younger men and women caring for those who are truly widows, of them giving up their comforts and their their resources to care for those. He's worthy of of Timothy learning how to correct older men and, and older women in the community and younger men and younger women in the community. He's worthy of us working hard to give him honor and praise. He's worthy of us loving those in his body sacrificially. Jesus is worthy of this. And you see, it's in verse 21 where Paul connects us directly to Jesus. As Paul is charging Timothy, he reminds him that it's in Christ's presence that he does so. Paul wants Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, the head of the body, the church, the one who has this family, not only under his lordship, but as the apple of his eye. We work to honor Christ inasmuch as we work to love his family. Let's go to him in prayer and ask him for his help as we seek to do that today and into the future for Jesus's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us a picture, just in brief here, of what it looks like to serve your people, to serve your family, Lord. We pray that as we see Timothy learning to do that, that we also would learn to do that in ways that please you. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for Jesus's love for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in us and enables us to apply these words rightly to our lives. We pray that he would enable that to happen today and evermore for Jesus's glory. It's in his name we pray, O Lord God. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I'm glad that we could spend a few minutes hearing from the Lord together today in 1 Timothy chapter 5. I pray that you will have a blessed day and love him well by loving his people well. God bless. Mm-hmm.